0: This is Dice Brussels. What's public opinion like uh, at the moment? This is prompted by some uh, new data from Ipsos Mori, done in conjunction with the EU UK Forum, uh, who I would directly recommend as an organisation for talking about uh, these kinds of issues as we go along. Um, Ipsos Mori have been doing some uh, really good polling uh, as well over the long term, and I think uh, some of the things that they've been finding in their recent survey that was done in the middle of March are worth discussing, partly for themselves, but also because uh, when I tweeted about it, uh, I got some very interesting reactions uh, from people, and we'll talk about that uh, in a minute. In essence, what we're interested in at this point is the understanding that people have of uh, the Brexit process, and we know that that was something that was uh, vital in the run-up to the general uh, to the uh, referendum in twenty sixteen. Um, we've talked about that at various points during this podcast, but uh, also since then, it's been important in helping shape people's understandings of the issue and the extent to which that matters for politicians, that how much do they need to work with uh, public uh, attitudes. And one of the things that was very important in all this was the, the way in which leave and remain became very strong identities. So one of the things that uh, we saw in the run-up to and in the period after the referendum was that people's senses of uh, leave or remain uh, were stronger than, uh, say, their party political identity. And so for many people, potentially this was the opening up of a new cleavage in British politics and political debate, and it opened up the possibility of a, a realignment of the political system. Now, uh, I think at the time and uh, throughout, I was always somewhat dubious about how much that was really going to happen, mainly because from my experience of talking about Euroscepticism, working on Euroscepticism over the past few decades, um, often it's not really about the EU. The EU is not the most central thing in people's minds most of the time. So Euroscepticism and other kind of strong views about Europe were not really about the EU, but about other things. So if this cleavage was emerging, that then it's not so much uh, about uh, Brexit per se, or the EU per se, but rather about some other things. And uh, as such, uh, it's the ability to capitalize on those other issues that was likely to be the more consequential thing. So, as I say, the data that we have uh, from Ipsos Mori is helpful in starting to to think about whether that's the case. Uh, I'm just gonna run through uh, briefly, but if you want to see some nice visuals, you can go to the Ipsos Mori uh, website, which which is uh, ipsos.com. Uh, and you can find the uh, piece with the data sheets. There's also uh, a recording of a seminar that was done uh, on the 23rd of, Ju- of Ma- March 2021 uh, on the UK EU forum uh, where you can find uh, some nice discussion uh, about all of that. But let me just take you through the, the headlines that, that IPSos have. First point is that now in March, so uh, two and a half months into uh, the final stage of uh, Brexit, if you like, so after the transition period, you still find that most people haven't noticed an impact of Brexit. Um, So uh, if you ask people whether it's made a difference to their life, uh, uh, nearly 60% of people say it makes no difference. However, for the 40% or so who, also who uh, has made a difference, that splits clearly towards those who've felt that it's made their life worse. So uh, roughly about a quarter of people uh, say it's made their life worse. Maybe 10% of people say it's made their life better. And likewise, if you ask people if they, they know somebody personally whose job or business has been affected by uh, Brexit. Again, most people don't know anyone. Uh, a quarter say neg- they know someone who's been negatively affected. 10% say someone who's been positively affected. At one level, that's not too surprising. Um, the First of all, uh, we've got the obvious impact of COVID, which means that a lot of the th- ways in which the general population might notice the impact of Brexit, is uh, swept away. So most obviously in terms of restrictions on travel uh, to the EU, where they might well notice that that's more complicated. Uh, They might notice that their roaming charges uh, suddenly uh, kick in. All of those things are really absent because most people are not travelling at all. Likewise, disruptions to food supplies, changes in prices on goods, all of those things are there but that might not be about Brexit that might be about COVID in people's minds so that's one part of it the other part of it is is that I think there was a degree of uh, what we can call project fear uh, in the kind of the prognostications of how it would be when we came out of transition that uh, this was going to be the end of the world we'd have queues of lorries backed up at Calais and Dover uh, and you know we'd really see some really major impact. And that has not happened. Yes, we've had some disruption. Yes, we've had some shortages of some goods. Yes, we hear endless stories of uh, people you know being hit with customs charges for goods and deliveries. But compared to some of the rhetoric, it looks relatively mild, relatively manageable. So in that sense, I think uh, the extent to which people notice it is already kind of uh, likely to be tempered down. Interestingly, I think, is the question of whether this will be uh, something that ramps up over time. And I think that's something we'll we'll come back to as we get more data that uh, we're liable to see uh, more people seeing uh, or making a decision about the impact. uh, And we'll see how that goes. But already the fact that you see more people seeing negative impacts than positive ones, uh, I think is uh, likely to be uh, the kind of pattern that we see going on. Um, And that's kind of reflected in a second set of questions about whether it's going as, as well as you expected or better or worse. And for most people, about half people, uh, it's going about the same as they expected. Um, Again, slightly more people saying it's going worse than going better, driven primarily by Remain voters who uh, are nearly 50% saying it's going worse than they expected. By contrast, Leave voters uh, have maybe uh, a bit more than a quarter of them saying it's going better than expected. But in both cases, the, the, the big impression is that uh it's about online with their uh expectations so we do see some people who say it's uh not as bad or not as good as they they thought uh contrary to the position that you might have expected them to have but here we've got something that that really underlines that uh it's remain voters who tend to have the more negative attitude and negative view about it uh, over and above their expectations. It's worth saying in this that this is uh, GB residents who have been surveyed in this, so there aren't Northern Irish uh, respondents, which is... Uh, important because we haven't yet got good data about the impact on Northern Ireland uh, and we'd be likely to see some quite different uh, rhetoric just because of the differential impact. If you ask people what they think are the most positive outcomes of all of this, then we get to some very interesting results. the way it's framed is, uh, regardless of how you voted in the referendum, which two or three, if any, of these do you see as the most positive outcomes of Britain leaving the EU? And then a, a whole long list of things. Um, the positive uh, outcomes are the most common responses are Britain being able, uh, being uh, gaining control over its laws and regulations, about a quarter of people, uh, Britain being able to respond to the pandemic better, about uh, a bit more than 20%. And Britain being able to make its own decisions generally, again, about 20% uh, of people. Those are the the top three. Um, And what we see here really is that this notion of uh, taking back control uh, is the kind of the dominant one that uh, comes out of, people's conceptualizations. It's very much about uh, agency that's coming back. And, you know, if you look at the fourth and the fifth ones, it's about the ability to make independent international trade agreements, greater control over immigration and borders. You know, those are the kind of the big cluster. And much less it's about influence or about recovering money or about uh, uh, internal cohesion, things like that. Those are very much secondary issues. But if you look at it uh, divided by Leave and v- Remain voters, so you know how they voted in uh, 2016, uh, you see a, a quite differentiated uh, kind of response. For Leave voters, all of those things about uh, taking back control are the ones that are the top of the list. You know, you're talking here about 30, 40% of people who are citing gaining control Uh, being able to make trade agreements, those things as been positive outcomes. For Remain voters, by contrast, the number one response uh, with nearly 40% is that there are no positive outcomes. Uh, And the next most common is Britain being able to respond to the the pandemic better with uh, 20% of people. So here we see that uh, the the dominance and, you know, the clearly uh, leading response from those who uh, were on the losing side of the referendum was that there is nothing that's good that comes from this. And we'll come back to that uh, in a second. Having said that, you know, maybe 15-20% of people are identifying, uh, you know, that this agency are, you know, dynamic is something that is present, but it's, you know, maybe half as common as it is amongst Leave voters. By contrast, if you ask people about the most negative outcomes, we see uh, a rather different picture. Here, the, the leading uh, responses are increased barriers to trade between the UK and the EU, uh, with uh, 28%, then the end of freedom of movement between the two, which are 25%, Unless international cooperation between the UK and the EU, just under twenty percent. So here, the the focus is very much on barriers to cooperation, uh, about the position of the UK uh, in uh, the European context, um, followed up by increased divisions between the nations of the UK and the uncertainty caused by the process. So here it's not so much about uh, the uh, notion of control, Uh, it's rather about more uh, economic factors um, and uh, international cooperation factors. Likewise, uh, as with those positive outcomes, if you look at the negative outcomes, a very clear difference between the two. For Remain voters, again, a strengthening of those uh, leading respondent uh, responses. So, forty percent talking about the end of freedom of movement, thirty-five percent talking about increased barriers to trade. So, uh, you know, leaning into those uh, uh, big issues uh, at the top of the the population. Level. By contrast, for Leave voters, the number one. Uh, response is that there are no negative outcomes uh, of Britain leaving the EU so 28% of people put that uh, at the top of their list. Now that's not quite as marked as it is for remain voters uh, on positive outcomes uh, because for leave voters uh, 25% of them do acknowledge that there are increased barriers to trade between the UK and the EU. But it's this mismatch between Leave and Remain voters that um, prompted the Twitter interactions that I mentioned at the top of the programme. To quote, let's find one of the emails. Uh, The answer is literally in conflict with reality. Either you're ignoring the consequences or denying them. completely understand where my uh, Twitter uh, interlocutor is coming from. Uh, Clearly uh, you can find lots of instances of those things which have been prompted to the respondents taking place, barriers to trade, no freedom of movement, uh, less cooperation, increased divisions, all of those things you can find. That's that's easy. but likewise, you can find examples of positive outcomes, that you can find are uh, uh, instances where, you know, you can say that the UK is no longer bound by an external court, or that it's able to make decisions about regulations in a way that it wasn't able to before. So why then is it that people are not finding or acknowledging that there are Outcomes that go against the decision that they made in 2016. Well, already, that gives us one answer. People don't like to be uh, asked to engage in a critique of their choices. And particularly when Leave and Remain became such a a, a bitter uh, cleavage in British politics, the willingness to accept that there might be a more nuanced position is, I think, um, it's hard to see how that might uh, be very present. Um, So, you know, people want to feel that the choices that they made were uh, the right choices. And actually, if you think about it, this is asking people to identify themselves as leave and remain voters in a self-identification way. And those people who might be doubtful about... Uh, how things are turning out, have an incentive to uh, intentionally or probably more mis- uh, more likely unintentionally misremember how they voted in 2016. We know generally from uh, our uh, polling colleagues that people's memories are really poor when it comes to even something as basic as how did you vote in uh, an election or a referendum. So uh, we see here um, uh, for example, if you look at the raw sample um, there's what there's two thousand four hundred-ish adults uh, in the sample. There are nine hundred and forty uh, remain voters and there are eight hundred sixty leave voters. So here we're talking at about uh, 1800 out of 1400 uh, adults in the sample. So already there's quite a lot of people who don't identify, uh, more than we might expect. Uh, And also we've got more remain voters than leave voters, which again would seem to be a bit surprising given the results of the referendum. You know, we might expect something a bit more. Now there are all kinds of reasons for that and we can control for that to go along. But already the willingness to identify as leave and remain I think is uh, a part of the challenge in all of this. And if you uh, go back, we have got some other data which suggests that people uh, in this sample hold their leave and their remain identities less strongly than they did uh, uh, in uh, past years. So if we go back to the idea about leave and remain as being dominant identities, we can already see that there is some weakening of that. But at the same time, people still have very different sets of values and interests that point towards a potentially what is a more fundamental cleavage of which Brexit is a manifestation rather than the driver uh, itself. All of this, however, points towards, if you like, the, the way in which discussion about Brexit runs past each other it's entirely possible that you have negative impacts on freedom of movement and on trade, whilst also being able to take back control over making laws. But those are, if you like, two different things that people are willing to trade off in rather different ways. Now, unfortunately, we don't yet uh, have access to the full kind of uh, data tables uh, from Ipsos, Uh, but it'd be interesting to see how people combine those two things Uh, in making sense of what it is that they uh, see. A last point, I think, just to to wrap this up is about whether Brexit is, if you like, done. Um, Most people do not buy into the argument that Brexit is done. Um, If you offer them a range of options then uh, only eleven percent of people say Britain's future relationship with the EU is now mostly decided and will hardly change over the next few years. So, if you you know you want a definition of done as uh, a new stable relationship, uh, we're talking about one in ten uh, people in this sample and uh, this survey uh, agreeing with that. Uh, by contrast, uh, you have maybe a quarter of people. Uh, saying that the broad outlines of Britain's future relationship with the EU will not change much over the next few years, but there are still some important areas left to decide. So here, just the, the idea that you know, we've got maybe a framework, uh, but uh, you know, there's a lot uh, you know, of detail to be filled in. Um, you, know, you think about all the areas that the trade and cooperation agreement didn't deal with. Uh, all of those uh, are still present. But then by far the largest group in this survey, 44%, say there are still many important issues to finalise in Britain's future relationship with the EU, which will mean lots more negotiations over the next few years. So nearly half of people think that there is something really big still to come down the line. And certainly, if I had to position myself somewhere, it would be in one of those two big categories, that there is still clearly a lot more that needs to come uh, in terms of working towards reaching something that looks quite stable, even if we take away you know what might not feel like prosaic, but uh, uh, can be presented as prosaic issues around vaccines and uh, the rest. You know, we, we still haven't really settled in on Northern Ireland, on the trading relationship, Uh, on security, all of these things which I think are going to be very big uh, and consequential. So where does this leave us with public opinion? It actually leaves us in a place where people are adjusting to discovering what it's like to be a third country outside of membership and how that will actually play out. Um, Importantly, I think there is this last point that this is not seen as a closed process by people uh, as being done and dusted, but rather as something that is contingent and likely to change. However, still, we'll come back to that critical point, which is that lots of people see the decision in terms of their preferences know how they would like it to be you know and so for leave uh, voters tendency to see things as going well uh, rather than the remain perspective which says oh this is terrible and it's even worse than we thought it was going to be which suggests that we are going to have a long period of contestation of debates of tension between the two groups as we go along, however it is that they manifest themselves within uh, the political realm. And what's interesting here is that uh, the extent of mobilization, the, the raw emotion of people's uh, engagement with this issue does seem to be much less, partly because of Covid, partly because we've now got past uh, a phase of open negotiation so who is able to make use of this issue uh, either directly or indirectly is something that i think will be a key part of british politics in the years if not decades to come so once again if you want to find out some more detail on the sample on the detail uh, on the survey uh, ipsos.com Uh, has uh, all of the details. You can find a very good presentation also at the UK-EU forum uh, with their presentation uh, in March uh, of uh, 2021. And I will come back to you uh, when we've got something useful to say, probably not about vaccines because I don't have the strength. On that note, have a very good Easter if I don't talk to you before and we'll talk again soon.